Good day, everybody, and thanks for joining us in the dark, and <laughs> there we go, okay. Thanks for joining us online, and wherever you might be, Bush Lake, Mond, I just have to say, I've been traveling the last few weeks. I was at Bush Lake last Sunday, worshiped with you. Thank you for your hospitality, and it was amazing to be with you. I was at Mound Westonka just before that, and can I just tell you, God is on the move at all of our sites, and yet we're one together in the name of Jesus Christ, but just thank you for being available to God and all that he wants to do. And it just seems appropriate as we wrap up this last series on the parables, um, that our message on the parables that we give one more shout out to all of the kids who have been part of this journey reading the parables so beautifully so we hear the voice of Jesus through the innocence of their little hearts and so let's just join in our hands together and say thank you kids for being part of this journey with us we're going to be integrating children and teenagers and more in the months and the years still ahead so grateful for that well the parables um, were given by Jesus because he wanted to really flip the world upside down concerning how we see the world and how we live. He wants us to be in love like him. And so he ushers in the kingdom of God. It's different than any other kingdom on the face of the earth in all of history. And he wants us to live in it according to his will and way. So we're gonna wrap up today with this last story, which is a short story about the parable of the 10 lepers. You might be familiar with it as a parable of gratitude, which seems fitting for Thanksgiving week. And in fact, I've entitled my message, What Are You Thankful For? And I'm pretty confident that that question will come up at all of your Thanksgiving tables. And I am pretty confident that at least one of you will say the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> because that was a thriller last week. Wasn't that amazing? But I will confess to you, I was one of those who shut the TV off with 45 seconds left. I know, I know. <laughs> Hey, the game was done. <laughs> and our grandchildren were there, so I took two of the grandkids and we went out and had an adventure into the forest. And it was beautiful. We came back an hour and a half later and my son calls and says, Dad, what did you think about that game? And I said, I think that may have been the very best football game that I have ever seen, even though the ending wasn't quite what we expected. And there was a pause. And he said, what? He said, did you watch the whole game? And I said, almost, till the last 45 seconds. And he, he said, I, I can't talk to you right now. <laughs> he said, you go and watch the whole game and you call me back right away afterwards. And I said, oh, okay, apparently I missed something. <laughs> so Carrie and I went and sat down and we watched the rest of the game. And I mean, wow. <laughs> I just, it was awesome. Uh, no, it's a football game. Use awesome only for God. It was amazing. And I was thankful. Now, there's a corollary from that game last week to the parable of 10 lepers. And you're going, there he is? Yeah, pastors have a way of doing this. I'm gonna make this connection to you because it's really quite an amazing connection, which by the way, it takes 45 seconds to read the parable. Just a little extra fact insight for you there. <laughs> If, if you read the parable just at the surface level, it is like you just uh, left with 45 seconds left into the storyline and you miss something. Because when you read at the surface level, you think it's about 10 lepers, all of them are healed, one returns to say thanks to Jesus, and the lesson is be the one who gives thanks to Jesus. That's the surface level. I've taught it that way myself. I've understood it that way myself for years. But 
If you read it only on the surface level, you will miss something really important and life-giving. And I'm going to confess, I did and have. And I'm taken back by that. You know, Martin Luther, um, one of my favorite quotes of Martin Luther, the reformer, is he says, the Bible is alive. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It takes hold of me. I did my study and preparation and outlined and drafted this message three weeks ago. This last week, as I came to refresh it and renew it, I step into the story, and God's word took a hold of me. And I saw something I had not seen before. And I changed my whole outline and the draft of my message, which doesn't happen very often. Thank God for that. There's a lot of work to come back into it, but I, I don't want you to miss what I missed. And what specifically did I miss? I missed the fact that, let me tell you what I did. I have been so caught up in this story with what the lepers did that I missed who the lepers are and the weight of it. Me and you. And that's what Jesus wants us to see. He wants us to see not just what the lepers did, but who they are. And I'm grateful because how many of us can truly identify with the leper? And that's, we skim over it because we don't have much in common with lepers. And that's exactly what Jesus wants us to see, what we have common in lepers. And so let's tune in to the whole game, would you, with this question. What is the proper response to God's abundant blessings? So I wanna share with you five things that Jesus says about lepers that align with who we are. And the first is this. Understand yourself as these lepers did included in God's offer to heal. End of salvation. See, we forget sometimes that we're included because sometimes we don't feel included due to everyday groupings that we, we have in our life circles. And so, some of you are gathering with Thanksgiving friends and family this week, and you might feel like, I'm really not included, but I'm going, and you're probably not all that excited about the week if that's the case. Some of you don't feel included in your work groups or your friendship groups. And let me just ask this question, what does it feel like? Because somewhere in your life's history, you have felt like you were not included, like you didn't belong. What does it feel like to not be included? That's popcorn out at West Tonka and at Bush Lake, and even here, just a little bit, a few words. What does it feel like yeah loneliness there's anger there's sadness anything else of course not okay here we go at all of our sites there's all kinds of words you feel when you are not feeling like you are included and you belong and yet we find this incredible story that is given to us I want you to hear this in God's economy of belonging you are included and when you think of the things you want to be grateful for be grateful that you're included. I'm included. In fact, would you say at all of our sites in a declarative voice so God can hear it, I'm included. Say that. I'm included. And it feels good to even say it. We actually pick up the story in verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Galilee was Jewish territory. Samaria was Gentile territory. And he's walking along the border because there's a border battle between these two. They don't like each other, they don't speak to each other, and they definitely don't include each other. And Jesus is walking on this border. And you take a step back right away and it comes home to you pretty quickly that humanity, people throughout history, 
have been border builders. That we have been creating borders, making borders, and we have attitudes about people who are on the side different than our border. And that has been part of our plight in humanity from the very beginning. And we see it in light ways, kind of fun ways in the sports world, for instance, where you find in, in our world, at least in, if you're in Minnesota, the, the Vikings um, have as a border battle the Green Bay Packers. And that's a deep one. And some of you who wear purple are just exceptionally happy that there's a demise to the Green Bay Packers and to Aaron Rodgers right now. I'm just saying it's not a very Christian way, but you feel this... <laughs> At the depth of your soul, and how many of you are purple, by the way, in the room? Okay, you wear purple for the Vikings. How many of you are Green Bay Packers? Okay, you've just risked your lives, but just <laughs> boldly put it up there. The point is, all the Green Bay fans are thinking, oh, the story ain't told yet. And all the Vikings fans are saying, oh, the story ain't told yet. <laughs> so, but it's a border battle. It's real. It's something that we have fun with by and large. But then there's the weightier side to border battles. So, for instance, in the political realm, it's taking place everywhere. In fact, if you're doing reading about it, you're, you're familiar with the great resort that's happening in America right now, that there is a geographical um, reality of polarization happening in America like we've not ever seen before, which simply means that there is a mass exodus by part of our population to leave the states that they live in and flee to a state that's more aligned with their political view. So what's happening is the red zip codes are becoming redder and the blue zip codes are becoming bluer. Does anybody else have some concern about the trajectory of our country if we continue to live this way? This is happening all around us right now. And so we find that these border battles are real. They're even real in the realm of our Christian heritage. I've asked this question several times as a pulse point for our own church family and where we come from because Westwood is a community church. We welcome people from all kinds of backgrounds. It's a relatively new phenomenon in America, about 50 years old, 60 years old, something like that. And I'm grateful for it. But I'm gonna ask these questions again because so many people are coming new to Westwood over the last couple of um, years particularly. But if you came out of a Catholic background, we're growing in a Catholic um, heritage. Just raise your hand, let me just see your hands. Good number of people, I'm sure, at all of our sites. How many of you come out of a Lutheran background? Good number of you, that's my background. How many out of a Baptist background? All right. Anybody out of a Presbyterian or Methodist background? Okay, yep. Anybody with a Salvation Army background? No. I only ask that because the last time I asked the question, must have been five years ago, and a woman came down and she said, you didn't say Salvation Army. And I said, oh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't say a lot of things, but I said, we have three more services, I'll ask. And I did, and nobody raised their hand the rest of the day. She was the only one. How many of you come from no church background? Oh, there's a number of you there too. You know what's happened is Jesus comes along the way and he does something beautiful. That if we are border builders, Jesus is the border buster. And he's taken the walls down. And I think what's happened in the last 50, 60 years with the growth of churches across the country that are similar to Westwood, it's not a rejection against Catholic, Lutheran, or anything. I still am grateful for that part of my heritage. It's just, I think, the call of the Holy Spirit. Don't let your be identity be caught up in your denominational loyalty. Let it be caught up in the fact that you are a Christ follower. 
because we've had too many border attitudes where Catholics would only go to Catholic churches then and Lutherans would only go to Lutheran churches and Baptists would only go to Baptist churches and Charismatics would only go to Charismatic churches and Catholics and Lutherans had attitudes toward Charismatics and Charismatics had attitudes toward Catholics and Lutherans. You can just see the border battles have been a struggle. So we find Jesus who is a border buster. He's walking alongside of the border and he comes into contact with a band of Gentiles and Jewish lepers. And he does something absolutely magnificent because he comes alongside of them in spite of their border battles and he says, you're included, you're included, you're included, you're included, you're included. I'm included and you're included. In fact, the declaration of this is so beautifully stated in Ephesians chapter two. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity of the two, thus making peace. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. You are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Friends, when you don't feel included, remember God's economy of belonging because you're in. Isn't that great? That's part of the story of identification. And so we go back to the question, what is the proper response to God's abundant blessings? Secondly, is to see yourself as these lepers were, unclean before God and others. But this is our challenge. We don't think of ourselves as being unclean, but it's exactly what Jesus wants us to understand about ourselves. Pick it up in the next part of the story. As he was going into the village, 10 men who had leprosy met him and they stood at a distance. And why did they stand at a distance? Because their illness was a contagion and it would put others at risk. And so the healthy people were quarantined from the sick people in order to control the spread of this distance that was between them. And in that, that spread, we find there was no modern medicine in those days, so it was pronounced in all of those cultures. But here we are with modern medicine, and we still have distance. We still quarantine. We don't see too much change. The biblical narrative still speaks to us today in profound ways. Let me say a couple of things here about leprosy. Leprosy, and I think, well, why is it 10 lepers? Because I think Jesus is communicating something about the seriousness of our own condition. Leprosy is a skin, um, it affects the skin in a horrible kind of way, it affects your eyes, your nose, um, your peripheral nerves so that limbs actually fall off. Some years ago I was on a mission trip to an amazing place, it was a very hard place to go to, it was a small group of us. We went to a leprosy colony, that was my first exposure to such. And I gained for the first time an understanding of something that I read in the scriptures often, but I felt what it must have been like for the lepers of that day because things are massively improved today than they were at that time. And yet, for us, it, it affected us. The grotesque disfiguration attacked our eyes. The loud cries attacked our ears. But the smell, you can't get that in a book. You can't get that by watching The Chosen, which I would recommend that you watch. I think they capture the isolation that they felt so beautifully for us to understand the condition that is for us. And yet the smell 
really attacked our sense of smell and what was taking place in the separation that we find even in the story. And here's the kicker. Jesus wants all of us to see ourselves as spiritual lepers. And most of us have not read this story with this understanding that we are spiritual lepers. In what sense? That we are desperately sick as they were. In this case, sick with sin. That is, we're unclean before a holy God. Just as the lepers were separated from each other in community, so we are separated from God and each other. There's a rupture in our relationships. Take sin out and we get along a whole lot better, but there's a rupture because of this sin in our lives. And it's similar because of the hope, because these lepers still had this deep-seated hope that God had the power to bring healing to them, and so we do the same, knowing he has the power to cleanse us from sin and all unrighteousness. So this is the beauty of what he gives to us. And why is it important? Because if we can't see our condition as being the same as spiritual lepers, then we won't go to God and cry out to him. We won't look for him for salvation because we think of ourselves as being above average. But would you agree we can't all be above average? The math doesn't work is what I'm saying there. There's not a reality to that, but that's how we see ourselves. And so we're prone to say, I make my mistakes. Yes, I have my faults, but I'm just human after all. But I am not a big dark sinner by any means. In fact, I'm a pretty good person. So we tend to find our confidence in how good we are, rather the true condition of our soul. And so the reality is, if you see yourself as a good person, who needs a savior? Who needs a savior if you think you're good? You're gonna always make it about your goodness in the presence of God, rather than embracing the true condition of our uncleanness in his presence. And Jesus has a corrective for us, and it's quite humbling. You could put the word Westwood instead of uh, Laodicea. There's a church in Laodicea that he speaks to, and this is what he says. You say, and, and this is for all of us who are in the West, I think, who enjoy the prosperity of life. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. There's a bundle of joy for you for Thanksgiving. I go, wow. Man, those hit you. You just can't skim over those. You embrace the reality of your identity. If these lepers had thought, yeah, I may be sick, but I'm not that bad, would they have really cried out to God for help? No, but they did. They cry out to God for his power. And they cry out to Jesus for his mercy. And so must we. We must identify with the lepers so we can embrace our true condition. Back to the question again. What is the proper response to God's abundant blessings? Well, it is to confess your need, as these lepers did. Call out to Jesus for mercy. And so when you're in a time of need, who do you call out for? No doubt you may call a mom, you may call a dad, you may call a friend, and that's helpful. But it it's not helpful enough. There's only so much that they can do. In fact, we pick up the story again in verse 13. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. I, I just, I'm taken back by there's an urgency, you can feel it, that they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. It feels different when you bring the loud voice to it. And we find that there is an identification for us here that I want to speak to just briefly around mercy, an important aspect of it, around the clean and the unclean disparity of that time, and around miracles. 
if I may, first with mercy. Can I throw you a, a curveball to begin with? You're gonna go like, why are you asking this question? But it's an important question. What comes to mind when you think about Taylor Swift? I told you it was a curveball. All right, just if you could give a one word descriptive, Taylor Swift just came into your mind, what would come to mind? Ticketmaster? Um, talented? Massively popular? Beautiful? We all have a picture in our mind of people, and we can get one word descriptors of them, and it reveals what we think maybe about music or the industry or whatever the case might be. Now let me get back into the main lane, and that is, what comes into your mind when you think about God and who he is? In your life's journey, what's the first word to pop into your mind? And just hold that. For the lepers, the first word that pops into their mind is mercy because they've heard about his reputation, that he has been multiplying compassionate mercies to the unexpected, to the poor, the disenfranchised, to the messy, to the outcasts along the way, that he isn't cautious with tenderness, that he steps into the reality of people's brokenness. He meets them where they are, and they've heard about this, and they so long to have somebody who would reach out to them at all. You can see why the story is about the lepers. It brings the extreme point that Jesus is making to us, that his mercy is just incredible, and that we ought to be caught up with awe over the win that we get to have the mercy of God in our lives. And it comes... Um, and displays itself in different kinds of suffering and even sin. For instance, if you have a hard heart, mercy um, and, and, and the tenderness of mercy will come to you. It'll soften your heart. If you have a dead heart, it's mercy that will awaken you. If you have a body that is sick, it's mercy that can heal you. If you have a life that is just plagued with habitual sin, it's mercy that can cleanse you. And so I wanna say with a boldness and yet a gentleness, it is impossible, it is impossible for the affectionate heart of Christ, the merciful heart of Christ, the compassionate heart of Christ to be over-celebrated or exaggerated. And yet we can neglect it, we can forget it, we can oftentimes not tap into the strength that it provides for us when we most need it. But for the lepers, they just tunnel into the mercy of God. And that mercy just changes their life completely. So they set the example for us in our place of need to cry out and to receive that mercy of the Lord. And then a brief word just about the clean and unclean system that's included in this story because from the Old Testament into the early part of the New Testament, we saw this system had a striking feature. That is the unclean, when they touched the clean person, the clean person would become, everybody, unclean. But then we find Jesus, who is the cleanest of all who've ever walked the face of the earth. He is without sin. And what does he do when he is confronted with suffering and sin and uncleanliness of people in their own given state of sin and, and sorrow? He, his impulse is to rush toward them, not away from them. We build barriers, he takes them down, and he comes into our midst. So you see what he's doing? He's, he's tipping, flipping that system onto its backside so that we find something different in the kingdom of God at work. That Jesus, the clean one, when he makes contact with the unclean one, Jesus does not become unclean. The unclean become 
clean, clean. We get to be clean. This is the mercy of God for us. What a beautiful gift we have in the presence of a Savior who washes us clean. And I want to say something as well about miracles because I think we have a view of miracles that needs to be changed as well, which he does right here in this storyline. We tend to think of miracles of Jesus as an interruption into the world order. And the German theologian by the name of Jürgen Moltmann points out that miracles are not the interruption to the um, world order. In fact, they are the restoration of the natural order. That he is restoring and bringing back that which got broken by sin. In other words, we have lived so long in the fallenness of our condition that we have come to think that disease and sickness and pain and death are natural. But it isn't that perspective from God himself. This is what Bolton says. He says, Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Now that is something to sit in. And so change your paradigm around miracles. There's a restoration taking place and we get to be part of it. Jesus walked on the earth cleansing the unclean, encountering and confronting sin, sorrow, and suffering head on with this beautiful gift of a good contagion of cleansing mercy that went out for them then and it comes out to us. He's sprinkling his mercy on us. In your time of need right now, his mercy is sufficient. And his mercies are new every day. Great is his faithfulness from Lamentations. That's where that hymn comes from. Great is his faithfulness. What, what a beautiful picture you have here. Take you back to the question again. So what is the proper response to God's abundant blessings? There's more to it. Respond to Jesus as these lepers did with obedient faith. This is fascinating to me. They're crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. And he does not heal them first. Did you catch that? He gives them a command. And the command is when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were healed. It was a test of faith. Everybody wants God to step in and help, but it's a test of faith. Will you trust me with your love? Now you have to have some background to this because it was the priests who were necessary to go to before you could be cleared to re-enter into society. So here you have these lepers who have to turn, they're not healed in the moment, but they turn and they go. They do what Jesus asks. Now you think, that's a pretty big thing for us, but you've got leprosy feet, it's a whole different thing to, to begin a journey when you have pain in your feet like they have, and they have to make their way to the priest. And that, you can imagine that conversation. Can you believe what we're doing here? How are we gonna get there? How's the priest even gonna welcome us? We haven't been healed yet. But as they turned and they went along the way, Jesus healed them. What they don't realize is the priest is Jesus himself. He will cleanse them, and he will clear the way for them to be able to move forward. And as they go, he heals. Friends, we are saved, it says in the scriptures, um, by grace through faith. And you know that faith, the word that I've used around here for many years, is readiness. Faith is a readiness to receive the grace of God that saves us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So as it relates to our lives and coming to salvation, like the lepers, it's instantaneous that our sins are washed away and the righteousness of Christ covers over us. When it comes to our way of life, it's the promise of his presence and provision for whatever your need might be. Have faith 
Trust him with the whole of your life is what's being communicated. Go back to the question for the last time. What is the proper response to God's abundant blessings? And that is to express gratitude as the one leper did, praising God at the feet of Jesus. So I guess we do make it back to the traditional interpretation because certainly gratitude is a key part of this storyline, but it's so much more. All 10 are healed, but only one comes back. Let me read the rest of the story. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. Oh, interesting. He cried out in a loud voice, and when he was healed, he praised God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, we're not all the ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to them, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. You see the big picture here, right? That God wants to see your life made well. And his promise is to be the one who does that for you. If you're not well today in any kind of category, it's Jesus Christ who will give you a mercy to put you on the trajectory of wellness that you long for in your life. I look at this and it was a cause to pause these last words on several fronts. If I could just kind of give it to you in a few quick bullets. First of all, where are the nine? That is, is there a pattern revealed in the short story of Jesus that might communicate that when God does something for us that 90% of us don't return to say thank you? Is this a pattern of our way of being that we move away grateful for what took place but we move away and don't come back with the fullness of gratitude that he would have for us. And so we find that it goes to a foreigner and it kind of hits me. The Jewish covenant would think they would expect the Messiah to come, they know who he is, that they'd be the first to come back, but it's a foreigner and a Samaritan. And sometimes I wonder when we know God, do we take advantage of God? Do we take God for granted? Is it like the children who perhaps receive so much love and so many gifts from their parents, they come to expect it that they don't always come back. They go away in another direction waiting for the next Christmas to come or the next birthday to come. All of those things, all those gifts are beautiful to give. Teach your children to have the right gratitude that they come back and are mindful. And then I thought when reading this, are the nine satisfied with only physical healing? Was it enough for them that their skin and their lesions were healed? Wouldn't they want more? Would they want more? Wouldn't you want more? Would you really just move on? Because one wanted more and came. Jesus wanted more for all of them as well, and they chose not to come back. And I think he's making a distinction that all 10 were healed, but only one was made well. That is, we find ourselves in a place where we're glad for the healing of the skin as they were, but we're not interested in trusting Jesus. We're glad for the goodness that God gives to us, but to to offer ourselves to come back in fullness to him is something we think twice about. The third thing that stands out to me as I wrap up here is, am I more like the nine who casually moved away or like the one who enthusiastically throws himself at the feet of Jesus and with a loud voice says, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let us not be casual. Let's be like the one who comes back and offers himself with gratitude his whole life because he wanted to be made well on the outside and the inside. And so, this week of Thanksgiving, what are you thankful for? 
And I sure want to encourage you to, yes, say thank you to God for the good blessings, the things that he gives to you in your life, for the beautiful people that are in your life, in your journey. In fact, can I give you an encouragement? Choose a quality, one word quality about the people in your life and look them in the eyes and say, thank you for being this person in my life. That's a good thing to do. But I think the bigger question, what is the first and the foremost response to the the greatness of God's abundant blessings in our lives. What is the first and foremost response? I think it is this. Throw yourself at the feet of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Savior of your lives, and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for your mercy that has allowed me to be included when I didn't feel like I belonged. Confess your uncleanness so that he can make you clean again from all your unrighteousness. Receive him as your Lord and Savior and follow him all of your life by faith, like the one. Because then, and only then, will you experience what it means to be well on the inside and the outside. And that's the story of the 10 parables. Isn't that a great story? I'm not alone in that. I pray all of you are blessed by the bigger picture that we are spiritual lepers, and we need a savior, and we have one, Jesus Christ. May his healing be yours. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, sometimes I just wonder what it's like when you, when you look upon us and what you see in our coming and our going. What you see in the needs. We get so easily overwhelmed because there's so many needs, we can't take it all in. And there you are with your broad shoulders taking it all in on our behalf. So we thank you for mercy that sees us, that comes to us when we're broken, um, when we're outcasts, when we're suffering, when we're sinning, and you heal us, and you promise to make us well. So Lord, we confess we are spiritual leaders, spiritual lepers that are unclean, broken sinners in need of a savior. That's who we are and that's who you are and what you do. You restore life for all of us. So speak to us personally, wherever we enter into this great week of thanksgiving, that we would throw ourselves at your feet first and foremost and say thank you, thank you, thank you. And you receive the praise, the honor, and glory because we are a very glad people. So we honor you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.